Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. I'm your host, Soyini Koch. For those of you CEOs in the middle market, at some point, being part of an acquisition is going to happen. It's very likely for most of you. And I'm very excited to have on today's show CEO and her CFO that really know how to do the acquisition thing. So welcome to Kim Eaton and Jack Walsh from Aptian, a global leader in mission-critical enterprise software solutions. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So start off by telling us a little bit about the history of Aptian and how acquisitions have played a role in, in your growth. Sure. So I'll try to be brief because there's a good long history here. But um, Aptian was formed in 2012 by merging two businesses, one called CDC Software and the other one called Consona Software, Mm -hmm. both of which had done acquisitions themselves over probably the 10, 15, 20 years that they'd been in business. They each had about 14 or 15 different products that were all collected through acquisition. And then we merged the two of them together. And um, a big portion of what we did in the first couple of years after doing that was really getting um, those businesses on the same systems, the same, you know, following the same best practices and methodologies. And what we learned as we went through that process, excuse me, um, is... It's seasonal allergy time. Yes, it is. um, (laughs) And (laughs) is that there in our DNA really was this opportunity to acquire businesses and help them run better and take smaller businesses who are really on the verge of growth, but haven't figured out how to make the right investments potentially to really enable that acceleration. So that's what we decided to do early in 15. We decided to really transform the business to do acquisitions to really bring together um, like types of, you know, leaders and and um, developers to help drive success in each of those businesses. And how many acquisitions have you done? So we have done technically 11 acquisitions. That's since, impressive. Yep. Since early 2015. It is part of our strategy. It is a core piece of what we do. Um, we have a whole team dedicated to it. We have a team that is out looking for possible, you know, acquisition candidates. It's a lot of Did fun. Did you hear that, CEOs? <laughs> if you're, if you're yep. in her industry, pay attention. Yes, yes. And we're in, we, we do cross a lot of different industries. We are wholly technically a software business, but we serve food and beverage. We serve retail distribution, the public sector, healthcare. So we have a lot of... there's. We're very opportunistic. We're happy to go into new industries as well because we feel like we have a lot that we can, you know, give and share in that in those industries. And cer- certainly, you create a lot of work for Jack here, indeed. <laughs> who's who's had to do all the the financial work underpinning those acquisitions? So, man, there's a lot to to ask there, right? Um, so, eleven acquisitions in eighteen months. One of the things that historically happens or you hear a lot about it is how hard it is to integrate these companies once you once you've gotten them so you see this beautiful little gem but then you put it inside of your company and it isn't quite so beautiful anymore from the people standpoint how do you go about making sure that that doesn't end up being like a whole bunch of misfit misfit toys 
It's a great question. It's actually top of mind for us every time we go into new acquisition. And we do look at each one on its own. I think the biggest thing we try to do is say, what what do we think we can give back to this company that can help it do what it's, you know, what it is was really designed to do from the beginning? And we involve the people that are in those organizations to be part of that process. So we really look for what's worked and then what we know isn't working so well and how do we shift that. And I think the biggest thing we do is is make sure we're very respectful because some people don't stay. It isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think sometimes smaller businesses don't make the tougher choices that say somebody's in the wrong role or somebody's, you know, aligned or misaligned That's in that very way. true. So we we really look at what are people's strengths, how can they be successful going forward and look at everything we've learned and apply those best practices. But we involve them, we communicate with them um, and make it very clear. We do it very quickly. So mm-hmm. most of the time within really the first six months well, or yeah, so. yeah, I mean, it's been 18 months. You, yeah. We, you obviously, we, you're doing it really quickly. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I've been part of acquisitions in my career where literally the process to integrate is years. Mm. And we do we do most of our work in the first 90 days to say this is what the outcome of, of what we're trying to achieve is going to be. Let everybody know that. And some people are there for six more months. Some people are there forever. Um, but I think the more we help people see what we're trying to do and we create a, a purpose for it, then people rally around that. And and Jack, from the financial standpoint, how how do you go about kind of moving all the different pieces? I mean, both just the the actual P&L. How do you go about merging them, 11 of them? And then... When you think about all the products and and how they work and all the customers, how does how do you do that? And how do you do it so quickly? Step one is inserting our financial systems into the acquired assets so we can get our hands around what's going on in the business and make sure we understand um, clearly how the business is performing and, and what we need to do. And then step two is to bring our finance organization together with theirs and integrate the people and make sure that we're keeping the right people and reorganizing to to drive efficiency in the organization in general. Um, But bottom line is we've got to get our hands around from a financial standpoint, what's going on in the business, allow our operating leaders to make the right decisions for where we take it from there. Because it bears um, emphasizing that it's not just about cutting costs, it's about um, optimizing the business and making sure that if products need investments or client relationships need emphasis in a way that maybe hasn't happened in the past, that we can come in and do, make take those actions. And my team on the finance side, particularly, will build the, build the systems around the, the new organization so that we can make those right decisions. Mm. And in our preparation, it seems like you're doing this from Poland. Um, actually, <laughs> or, Poland, some, or, or somebody, these people are in Poland. How does that work? So Poland is the, the center of excellence for the Afghan finance organization. That's where billing and collections, payables and receivables are all managed. But you're here. I'm here. And uh, <laughs> probably about half the organization is here in Atlanta. Uh-huh. And then the other half is in Poland. Wow. So we take advantage of a, a very skilled, uh, well-educated, multilingual uh, culture in Poland, in Krakow, Poland to be able to, again, think about billing and collecting and interfacing with clients. Um, We've got people that speak every language in the EMEA region. Um, So we leverage that um, and we leverage the the cost efficiencies that we can get by tapping into the Poland labor market. Um, But at the same time, um, we're building organization here in Atlanta and really um, throughout these acquired businesses so that we can 
um, had the local intelligence to make sure we're making the right decisions, leveraging off of the, the Poland opportunity. Mm-hmm. And think of Poland, if I could and just elaborate a little bit more, I think think of Poland as where all the 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 transactions happen. And in order for us to scale and to continue to keep doing 11 acquisitions in 18 months, um, we need to make sure there's one way that we do these things. And so they force a discipline and a process. Um, and, and that's, you know, part of the culture um, there too. So that's what we take advantage of as well. So think of it more transactional and the specialization and the knowledge and the expertise is in the local regions. Mm. So... Kim, for you, you mentioned that you were a part of building the acquisition strategy and that you became CEO a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. but you were COO before. Yes. So I'm a strategist. So that's that's what I love. How did you develop the strategy? And And one of the things that often happens with the CEOs that I work with is they don't have, you know, they're like, well, the strategy changes and it's not necessarily worth it for me to do a long, you know, this long strategic exercise because conditions change so quickly. I would love for you to actually kind of pop the lid and talk to us about how you develop the strategy and why it's working. Yeah, that's on. I'd love to talk about that. So I think, first of all, um, when I first came to the company, we really... Which was when? Which was in August of 2014. Okay stepped back and really looked at what what are our assets what are what do we do well kind of what's core to us and there's actually a um, a really good book called Beyond the Core, and it really helps you drive an understanding of what you do really well and then where you possibly could extend that and logically. So we took, you know, we kind of followed a little bit of that methodology and said, so what do we do really well? And then do we have a clear mission and vision and core values? And so how do our people really embrace what we're trying to do? So at the same time, we we kind of analyzed all of that we recognized that part of our core was that we had great um, leverage in resources across R&D, support, service. We have a global organization that we should leverage to do acquisitions because that's what we had done. Both Consona and CDC had done that. And then what we also decided to do, which was core for us, was to recognize the amazing customer base that we had and that most of our growth historically had really come from just expanding with our own customers. So we had we came out of the end of 14 with a two-part strategy, focus more on the customer, let them engage with them, let them help us really drive what we should build in our products and how we serve the markets, because most of them are leaders in those markets, and then keep acquiring businesses to help complement and give more solutions to our customers. It really was an analysis of who we were and what we did well. And then we completely turned the company on its side. We reorganized um, into what I would call vertical businesses instead of horizontal functional businesses. And that's what's helped us really um, continue to be successful. I think that our organization structure and our management system, the accountability, each product has a leader. Each of them, they're GMs. Yeah, they're like, P- they're running their own PL. They run their own PL and they leverage the knowledge and awareness of what other parts of the business are doing through the horizontal functions, you know, serving them. So there's a lot of sharing and a lot of collaboration that still goes on, even though they are, you know, they own their own thing. 
And then the next thing that I would say that we did is we we got the structure in place. We operated for about a year, and then we established a new three-year strategy process. And so each of those GMs now Heard that, guys a three-year strategy. And I agree with you, right? Everything changes really quickly. So we evaluated every six months and really... But it gives people a baseline and kind of a framework for what they want to do with the business and helps us as leaders know where the investments can be, where the opportunity, and we measure it. We measure it um, on a very frequent basis and see how everyone's doing. So that that's what we do. Yep. One thing that I'm very curious about is you, you mentioned, okay, so we, we allowed our customers to tell us what they wanted. How did you do that? So that sounds like a really great thing to do. Yes. How'd you do it? Yeah. So um, first of all, I'll just say, and by the way, this is what we find with every acquisition that we um, do diligence on is we realized we actually weren't talking to our customers very much. So we were responding to support calls. We were helping them do upgrades. But strategically, we weren't actually engaged with them, aligning ourselves to what they were trying to accomplish in their business. So we redefined our entire account management methodology. It's a very strategic business issue oriented type of um, methodology. We trained all of our people. um, And now we go and, you know, when we meet with our customers, we're talking about where do they want to go? How can we help them get there? And it sounds really simple, but when that's not what you're doing to change that, (laughs) so it was a huge change management project and we still have a long way to go. But I think if you in your mindset, understand that it's not asking them what they want. It's understanding what's happening in their business and how we might help. And then we come back and just then put that back in front of them. I think the other side of it is we we engage through user groups and, um, you know, very advisory-oriented types of groups that we put in place. And those have been fantastic because they give us a, a way to very quickly get feedback on what we want to do and do they agree and support that. And um, because at the end of the day, we need our customers to keep upgrading our products. They can't stay static. If they do, they won't want to use our products anymore, right? Because they'll they'll be further behind as we keep adding more um, functionality that help them solve the new issues of, of each industry. Mm-hmm. So hopefully yeah. that's what you're looking for. No, no, that's, that's <laughs> great. I am... And there's just so much, so many things that are, that, that you did that really, really worked. And I'm curious about so you spoke to the customers, they told you, you know, all, all these things, and now you've established this process that has you aligned with them on, on, on an ongoing, you know, ongoing basis because you've changed the, your account management methodology. Um, but I'm, I'm also wondering, how do you uh, then use that to inform the products that you de- develop or the acquisitions that you then go after? Yeah, so this is the linkage to the three-year strategy for each of the different product um, leaders. And um, what we've also done, which I know adds a little bit more complexity, is we have lots of products, but we've also organized them into industry solutions. So giving you an example, food and beverage, we have a solution that crosses about six or seven of our products. And so collectively, that team thinks, how do I solve the the issues of food and beverage? And they collaborate and work together and and across um, customers. So there is a product manager or the product leader may do this. They translate what they've heard from the customer, where they see the industry going, and then they define where they want that roadmap to go, and they pass that to the leader in R&D. 
And so that's, and that is a conversation that probably happens every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's new learnings and new um, involvement um, that that drive um, those types of requirements. Mm-hmm. So, and it bears emphasizing that the that the the value that we bring then not only to our existing business but to an acquired business is that conversation that we're having with a client enables us to be focused on developing the right enhancements to the products. Easy to talk about. But if you don't have that dialogue going with the client and don't understand what what makes us differentiated, particularly in an environment where we're very niche focused, you can you can spend a lot of money on the wrong Mm -hmm. enhancements. So this is what the value we bring to the existing portfolio and maybe just as important when we acquire a new business, what we can bring to the table in working with them, not only with the R&D resources and the ability to invest in R&D, but also a very focused uh, attempt or effort to get at what the client really needs. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So there are a couple key themes that have been emerging in the show uh, over the past, let's say, year. I'm very um, interested in how you might be thinking about them at Aptian, one of which is data analytics and big data. Mm-hmm. The second is is automation, AI, um, being able to use computers to do things that we thought only people used to be able yes. to do. How are, are these these trends and developments affecting Aptian? They both are affecting Aptian. So I think in the first around big data and, you know, just the use of that, I think what we see is many of our customers are manufacturers. Many of them are smaller, mid-sized manufacturers, and they really don't have access to things like trending and analytics. It's usually within the small confines of their 20, 30, $40 million business. And so what we've been looking at and and establishing is how could we leverage the data across many of our customers to kind of help inform them about trends and things that they should be paying attention to, whether it's pricing trends or it's uh, efficiency trends, things that they should hold themselves higher standard to. So we just bought a business called GQ Life Sciences, which is a business based up in Boston. It's a, a patent search solution for wow. bio um, for the um, life sciences industry. And we are excited about leveraging a lot of their knowledge in just big data and search and how we can start to evolve. So we're not there yet, but that's what we see as an opportunity for us is how can we really help these smaller companies, whether it's through a portal or, you know, some type of access. So that's um, a big part of what we're we're trying to bring you know, to small mid-sized companies, mm-hmm. which don't always have the benefit of the investment um, that a larger company could do to have in big data right. themselves. Mm-hmm. The second, remind me what your second trend was. Automation, <laughs> Automation AI. Yes. Like how we're getting computers to do things yes. we used to think only people could do. Yeah. So part of what we do and the way we think about our solutions is about helping our customers drive higher customer satisfaction through the way that they, you know, whether it's delivering product or, um, you know, providing feedback or whatever it is. And so we, um, we've completely changed the user interface for a lot of our technology um, as it relates to mobility, but also just analytics as well. And so we've been focused on that for the past couple of years. But how we're looking to change that is um, we've been researching bots. How could we leverage bots, which I'm assuming, although maybe not everyone knows what a bot is because I didn't about six <laughs> months ago. But think of it as a piece of technology that can 
can know enough about you without actually knowing anything about you and, and um, you know, provide a service. So the example I love to use is you send a text to wherever it is you want to order a pizza from, and they know exactly where you are. They are able to pay, you know, you're able to pay without actually signing in to pay, um, and they bring you your pizza, you know. So there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes to find all these pieces of information about you without you ever knowing. Um, now, that's a little bit scary for some people, but there's a um, a piece of data that I thought was really interesting by 20. 20, so that's what, three years from now? Yeah. We will have more conversations with bots than we will with our significant others. Wow. So that's a prediction, at least. I think that's a Gartner prediction. Wow. <laughs> so, um, so we recognize as a, as a software business that we have to understand how we can take advantage of that trend and use that AI kind of technology to, um, you know, provide more predictive analytics, more predictive service and that type of thing. But wow, it's fascinating. It I mean, is. our world is going to change so quickly over the next and it has already when you think years. about it. Yeah. yeah. But the key <laughs> foundation to making that successful though is going to be a solid relationship with the client um to That's make sure That's not going to go away, is it? <laughs> well, <laughs> we don't but, think so. But my point is trust has got to be there. In other words, if you're going to engage as a small or mid-sized business in big data, that means you're receiving information but you're also handing over um, mm. information on your own business. And you need to understand and appreciate that the vendor, Aptian, that you're dealing with is a trusted party that you can you can allow us to have access to the information so that in turn, we can give you insight and information back without compromising your own competitive position. Mm. And that's a very careful balance. But again, that's that gets back to the importance of the client relationship. We're a trusted partner here. We're not somebody that comes in and takes advantage of a client. We'd never, of course, never do that. But you don't get that trust um, by showing up once a year. You've mm. got to have that ongoing relationship. Definitely true. Right. CEOs, we're talking to Jack Walsh and Kim Eaton from Aptian. So I want to turn the conversation to talk more about the people issues, which I know, having acquired all these new people, because you're acquiring people in addition to software, right? Um, there's, there's a lot going on there. Um, one question that I think is top of mind for me is, there's a, a sense sometimes that acquisitions can be very inhumane. And mm-hmm. I think you um, you alluded to it, you know, this notion that people get cut, they get moved around, they get reorganized, they get re-re, you know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of stuff. And uh, how do you deal with that, that part part of it, all the emotion that happens when people get, when people or businesses get acquired? Yeah, so... I think one of the things we have learned that has been very successful, and we've gotten feedback from a lot of the people who have been acquired in our business, is that we we move fast. So we don't let people wonder what's going to happen to them, or um, we really try to communicate, this is going to be our process, and by this date, we're going to tell you exactly what we're going to do. And that, I think, is a really important point. Having people linger, they're just going to leave because they're going to wonder, they're going to make up their own, you know, they're going to guess where it's all going to end up. So number one, um, we do that. Number two, what we do is we really try to help everyone understand why we're going to do what we're going to do. In other words, we want to bring more value to our customers. We want to help strengthen the relationship of our customers. And in order to do that, we need to drive better best practices and we need to put people aligned to their strengths um, in the organization. And so that's really 
the premise and and we talk to people on a, on that level, right? We talk about and the reason why many of those people are at the companies they're at is because they love what they do for their customers. So when you bring it back to why, um, I think that that really helps people be comfortable. And I can give an example. We did an acquisition the end of 2015 the workforce of this company had been around for 30 plus years and they had very involved with their customers. I mean, they were very, very loyal to this business. And it's a smaller business. And we made the decision because many of those people were um, close to retirement even that we were going to make all the changes now so that we had access to them as we transition, but that it would be better for the long term for customers to go ahead and just make that change. And I don't think people were very happy in the beginning, but by the time we actually got to the end and they saw the talent we were bringing to the business, the talent of, you know, people in R&D, the people who really cared about those customers, they all, like, they sent us notes about just, they could never be, our customers could never be in better hands, right, than at Aptian and, and what we were accomplishing. So I think at the end of the day, it all comes back to the customer and the relationship that people have with the customers. And if we put that first and foremost, things will work themselves out in the right way. So that's what we've seen so far. Mm-hmm. Were a lot of, have a lot of the acquisitions been um, CEO founders that you've acquired? Most of them have been, yes. Um, a few have been um, private equity owned where they had brought in someone um, who, you know, had been there a couple of years, let's say. But for the most part, most of these are entrepreneurial types of businesses that have accomplished a lot, but have so much more opportunity ahead of them. And they recognize it, you know, as founders, they say, you know what, I've kind of hit my limit. And in order for the business to grow and be more successful, I know I have to step away. Mm-hmm. A lot of them retire. Most of them I was retire. just about to, that, you yeah. saw where I was headed with that. Yeah. So they retire. And, and then you have a GM that's then taking over. Yes. And what's so exciting about that is typically the second or third kind of person in line at those businesses get that opportunity. And so, you know, it's a great growth opportunity for so many people. Um, only a few where we've also brought somebody from Aptian in because there wasn't a, a, a natural second or third in line. And so it's opportunity for our Aptian employees as well. So um, it's been really good growth for for many um, aspects. And, and and so when the power of the employees, you, you, you mentioned your example, um, but how do they deal with all the, the change as well? And then those tough conversations that maybe the existing people weren't willing to have, you, you're saying that you come in and you have them, but that doesn't mean that they're still not tough conversations. Oh, they're definitely tough conversations. I don't think anybody likes to have those kind of conversations, but what I will tell you is what's been really powerful about a lot of the things is we have found people who are really great people and they didn't fit uh, against what we wanted to do with that business we acquired, but they fit elsewhere in Aptian. So that's another part of the conversation that balances. Some of them don't like that. Like they like the idea of an opportunity, but they might not necessarily want to leave what they've been doing either. So we try to, you know, give them a chance to take a look at it and decide what they want to do. And most of them have moved into roles that are broader at Aptian and have added tremendous value to our overall business. So again, you have to really listen to people and understand what their concerns are. And that's what we try to do. We keep getting better and better at it. Our first acquisition wasn't nearly as good as the ones I think we, you know, that we've done lately because, you know, we just, we treat people with respect. That's the key. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And communicate. Yeah. From your standpoint, Jack, how long is it taking to act to to begin to see the see it in the, in the financials? As as Kim mentioned, we go fast. So in six to nine months, we're going to realize I'd say the lion's share of the the synergies that we're looking to realize out of the deal. So it's very fast. Usually, you know, there's all this stuff when you do the business case for the acquisition. We're going to get mm-hmm. this synergy and that synergy, and this is going to happen and that's going to happen. How much of it has actually happened? <laughs> I can tell you from personal experience that we achieve those synergies. We really do. Not necessarily always the way that we planned it at the time we do the deal, but we've got enough levers that we can pull, again, given our experience over the last two years that we're, we're achieving the the, the benefits that we're looking for out of these deals. And and candidly, in many cases, more than what we had expected. Yeah. And, and we're pretty good at this. Well, yeah, I would think. <laughs> well, each one is different. So I think that's the thing to to remember. We we look at each business on its own and recognize what is going well and where are are the places that Aptian can really help them. And so um we assume, you know, after a month of, you know, review and discussion, it, that's a short amount of time to really do a lot of analysis on a business. And usually in that next month, we find that, you know, it's completely tipped on its side. So we look for, most of the time, we look for more structural operational efficiencies. And what we do is set that up in early so that they can actually drive the revenue upside. So we try to get all the hard work done first and then, you know, so what I would tell you is while six to nine months is where we kind of get the organization um, solidified and transitioned however it's supposed to look, then typically the next year we're starting to see revenue growth. So, And some are actually faster than that, but that's the whole intent is to really set up these businesses to be able to really flourish and grow, but do all the hard stuff first and just get, get it past us. Mm. So Great. Well, thank you so much. Um, I'm wondering if there's, you mentioned acquisitions and you're looking for, um, always kind of looking for the, the next mm-hmm. one. Is there anything else that's new and exciting at Aptian that you think our, our guests would be, our listeners would be interested in hearing? One thing I would say is we've done a lot of work over the past two years to really stabilize our business and get it set up to start growing um, more. And so what we have done is we've really... Um, what I would say also stabilized our products and started to invest in them in some very unique ways. But we are looking um, to continue to really drive higher levels of innovation into our products. Um, these are all very stable products that have been around for 15, 20, some 25 years that our customers trust and know, you know, that that um, are going to keep working. And so we're, we're looking for people who would be willing to help us kind of think very creatively about how we continue to modernize those products and really drive innovation um, across not only the core products, but as we acquire, you know, more businesses. That's what we want to do right away is bring lots of value to the customer that they can see in the first year. So we're looking for people who like to work fast, (laughs) I would say. I think the second thing is we are, in addition to acquisitions, I think we are also investing a lot in our people in ways that are unique and and different. We're learning, we have a very learning um, oriented culture. And so um, we make a lot of investments there that now what we've learned is 
it actually applies to our customers. So we're looking at, at, at expanding a lot of the products that we have into new areas like learning and development and training and how we do that differently and more uniquely and more creatively. So um, not core. When you think ERP, you think uh, financials, inventory, production. But we are actually orienting more of our technology around the people, you know, and how people can do their jobs better. So um, that's, you know, it is all about the people, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very much so. Well, thank you so much, Kim and Jack. It's been wonderful sure. to have you on the show. Um, listeners, we've been talking to Aptian CEO, Kim Eaton, CFO, Jack Walsh. Um, they are a global leader in mission-critical enterprise software solutions. You've been listening to CEO Exclusive. I'm your host, Soyini Koch. On Thursday, you can read a blog on LinkedIn that's going to summarize the key takeaways from today's show. I hope everyone has a prosperous, productive, and very profitable week. Thanks. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at anonaenterprises.com.